Shalom and welcome to the Chosen People radio program. I'm Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. And thank you so much for welcoming us into your lives uh, today. And whether it be your home or your car or even your computer, thank you so much for tuning in to the Chosen People radio program. And I hope that it will be a, a great time of enrichment for you. As usual, we're going to try and cover some topics that you may not get every day or every year at church. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to uh, pause our study in the book of Leviticus to talk about the great Jewish holiday of Passover, as we call it, Pesach. Joining me, as usual, is my good friend and colleague, someone who knows a lot about this topic, actually, Bobby Walter from Brooklyn. Welcome, Bobby. Yes, thank you, Mitch. Uh, Mitch, also from Brooklyn. Uh, Very good to be joining you again, and shalom and welcome to everyone who's out there listening. Uh, We're very, very happy to be with you here on this festive weekend, because there's a lot going on, Mitch, right? I mean, absolutely. we just had Good Friday, and so many, so many will be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, this weekend, and we're just so just thankful and grateful. Uh, And on top of that, not only is there a lot going on in the Christian world, but things are lining up this year, and we're right in the middle of Passover. The first night of Passover was on Friday night uh, that just passed, and uh, we're really excited about the connections that can be made between the Passover and what the Lord has done for us by going to the cross and even by rising from the dead. I got to tell you, Bobby, we're just coming from different places. I mean, we agree on most things, but what's most exciting for me is the food. I mean, come on, you know, <laughs> on Passover, you have all your favorite foods, my favorite foods, like brisket and chicken and brisket mm. and brisket. And then on, <laughs> of course, my favorite, gefilte fish. Don't ask oh, what my. the ingredients are. Yeah, you just, you lost me on that one. Sorry. Did you skip breakfast this morning or No, uh, no, 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 no. No, no, nope. I'm just I'm just in the just Passover passionate. mood, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I get it. I get so it. I guess I guess we should turn to the beginning of Passover. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And where's that? Well, that's a good question. Uh, because <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I mean, where is the beginning of Passover? There is a passage in the New Testament that talks about the Lamb of God being slain before the foundations of the world. So oh, there you go. <laughs> I mean, that's really going back. Boy, that is that's a great answer, actually. Yeah. It is. Uh, yeah. You know? Passover's one of those eternal holidays, huh? <laughs> it has eternal ramifications, I would it say. It does. But back to your question, where does the Passover really begin? Now we do get some hints at it in the book of Genesis, actually. Genesis 15, where God basically made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would be enslaved in a foreign land for over 400 years, and that ultimately God would step in to set them free. But really, where does the story of the Passover that we want to focus on today begin? It's, It's in the book of Exodus, right? All right, Exodus chapter 12. Yes. Some of you have maybe been to a Passover Seder, of Passover's uh, eight days, one day, according to Leviticus 23, one day 
is the Passover. Seven days is the Feast of Matzot, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Usually in Jewish homes on the first two nights of Passover, we have what's known as a Seder, S-E-D-E-R. It's the Hebrew word for order. And that's the liturgy for the evening. And basically, it's the Passover story of slavery and redemption all woven into a beautiful service with, of course, food in the middle of that whole thing, with songs, with Q&A with the kids. But it's deeply rooted and grounded in the first Exodus, in Exodus chapter 12. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to begin at the beginning because for me, particularly since I became a believer at 19 years of age, the Passover is all about the lamb. I mean, the lamb is center stage for the Mm -hmm. Passover. I mean, in a sense, it was even when when I was not yet a believer. But -hmm. when I became a believer, my gosh, the message of the lamb in the Passover is just so important to me. So let me read verse one. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It's to be the first month of the year. So the Hebrew month, Nisan, not the car, the Hebrew month, Nisan, is the first month. So the first month for Jewish people in the Jewish calendar, which is a lunar calendar, usually comes somewhere between March and April. And so it's the month of Nisan. And so Passover, of course, is always a spring festival. So Moses continues, and he says, speak, verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel, Saying, now listen carefully, friends, because the angels are in the details. (laughs) Okay? So on the 10th of this month, not the 9th, not the 8th, not the 12th, on the 10th of this month, the month of Nisan, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you're to divide the lamb. Verse 5, very important. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. Now listen to the chronology here, friends. Verse 6, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it, and then eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire and with unleavened bread, matzah, and bitter herbs. Don't boil it and don't eat it raw, but rather roast it with fire with its head and legs, and you shall not leave any over until morning. You shall burn the rest of it with fire. And then I'm just skipping ahead a little bit. It's the Lord's Passover at the end of verse 11. And here's why, verse 12, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord God. Verse 13, and we'll we'll end there for a moment. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Obviously, where we get Passover. And no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, Bobby, I'm so glad you can be my rabbi because I want you now to go through what I just read mm-hmm. and explain all of it in light of the New Covenant and the New Testament. Can you do that? Uh, I will give it my best shot. All right. Thanks. So, 
I think there are three main connections that we can make between what you just read regarding the, the Passover lamb itself and what we see in the New Testament specifically with Jesus. The New Testament presents Jesus in Passover terms, right? When John the Baptist first saw Jesus coming toward him, what did he say? He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus died, what day was it? Well, it was Passover. Uh, do we think that's a coincidence? No, God could have chosen any day, but he chose to do it on Passover. And then one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, where mm. Paul, talking about the, the sacrifice of Jesus, says that Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Right. So he was talking about the sacrifice of Yeshua, the sacrifice of Jesus, using Passover terms, basically saying that Jesus is our Passover lamb. So what are these connections that we can make? Well, the first one that really stands out to me is when the lamb was brought into the home on the 10th day of the first month, right? It coincides when we go to John chapter 12, verses 1, and also John 12, verses 12 through 15, and we see the triumphal entry of Jesus. Uh, we can sort of calculate exactly what day it was when he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and it would have been this same exact day, the 10th day of the first month, when the lamb was being brought into the house. So that was six days before the Passover. Jesus went to have some kind of dinner with his old friends, Mary, right. Martha, and, and Martha, excuse my New York, and Lazarus. Right. And, uh, but then uh, he, he was not greeted in the most friendly of terms the next day, was he? Not exactly. There was a really resounding welcome that he received as people brought out the palm fronds and laid them down uh, before him as he was riding in on a, on a donkey or on the colt. And they were shouting out Psalm 118, Hoshiana, Lord, save us. Really, in many ways, it was like a greeting that was worthy of a king. Do you think that the Jewish people confused Passover and tabernacles where we use the palm fronds and put them on top of the roofs of our booths so that we can see to the heavens? Do you think it was a mistake or do you think they conflated the holidays a bit? My opinion, I think they conflated the holidays. Mm -hmm. I think it was intentional because yeah. the last time that they saw Jesus uh, in, in Jerusalem for a major holiday, a pilgrimage holiday in John's gospel was in John 7 and John 8. Jesus made a huge statement at the end of John 7 where he was basically claiming to be God in the flesh by saying that he was the source of living water. So when they greeted him with those palm fronds, I would argue that it was uh, their way of saying, hey, we remember what you said at Tabernacles. Come and fulfill it. You know, we, we believe uh, that you are indeed this king. Remember, a lot of these folks were, were still looking for a king who would overthrow the Romans, and you know, mm -hmm. and and uh, he came in humbly on the foal of a donkey. Again, they thought he would save us. When they said, "Save us, save us," I don't think they were talking about saving us from our sins. Right. I think they were talking about save us from the Romans, establish the Davidic kingdom. Let's right. get this. Let's get this show on the road. You know, and uh, you you didn't do it during Tabernacles. We heard what you said about the living waters, but you know, we want to see the rest of the thing happen with the, right. the Romans get theirs. But Jesus, well, earlier he had said that he said his eyes, his mind and his heart and his face like flint um, towards Jerusalem to fulfill what God had given him as his holy destiny, which was to ultimately become a sacrifice for sin. So maybe the Jewish people didn't fully understand 
uh, what they were saying, save us, save us, and welcoming a king who didn't come exactly as they hoped. However, Jesus was doing exactly what he was supposed to do, particularly according to Isaiah 53, because in Isaiah 53, we read about him being like a sheep led to a slaughter. And so there's no doubt that Jesus understood that he was a sacrificial lamb and that he was headed to Jerusalem for his last trip and that his destiny was to die for the sins of the Jewish people and for the whole world. So I I don't think that these uh, Jewish people, I think they were sincere, but I don't think they completely understood what was about to happen. So then what did happen, Bobby? Well, I think another point of connection between Jesus and the, the Lamb of God from Exodus 12 is that after the triumphal entry, for those days that he was in Jerusalem during that week leading up to the cross, he was examined just like the lamb was being examined. In Exodus 12, 5, we read that the the lamb had to be unblemished and perfect and spotless, right? Well, so too, Jesus went through this examination period where different teachers and leaders and scribes and sages would come up to him while he taught in the temple courts in Jerusalem during that week, and they would try to find a defect in him. But in the end, and really we see this in Mark 14, verses 53 through 65, in the end, they could find no defect in him they could find that he was indeed unblemished. Tempted in every way. Yeah, but without sin. Without sin. That's what we theologians call it, the impeccability of Christ. So what happened when uh, Jesus got to Jerusalem and celebrated the Passover? Um, that's in, in a number of passages, but I think in Luke 22 is one of the primary passages. And how did Jesus pull it all together between Exodus and even Jeremiah and his teaching ministry to his disciples. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what what's amazing about that, and we could probably spend hours talking about this, but the night before he went to the cross, as Passover came, he gathered in the upper room with his disciples, and he ate the Passover meal with them. And mm. what is beautiful about it is he used the traditional elements that were on that table that night uh, to celebrate those magnificent redemptive acts that God performed for Israel in Egypt so many thousands of years ago. He used the elements from that celebration as a springboard to reveal who he was and what he was about to do, to let his disciples at that table know, and even his disciples today know, that he was coming to bring a greater exodus, a deliverance not just from slavery in Egypt, but a deliverance from slavery in sin. This was a regular Passover. It was always celebrated on that night. In fact, Jesus grew up celebrating the Passover. Not only Jesus, but all his disciples were Jewish. They mm-hmm. all grew up celebrating the Passover, and I wish I could have been at that Passover. Yeah. So he makes two statements, one around the bread and one around the wine. Do you want to talk about those, Bobby? Yes, Mitch. We see something amazing there at that table uh, because what Jesus does is he takes that particular bread, which would have been matzah, which is unleavened. And leaven is, you know, usually used as a picture of sin in the Bible. Thank God leaven in and of itself is not sinful, you know. So he's using this unleavened bread, which would have been pierced and At this particular point in the meal, it's possible that he was using what was called the afikomen, this special bread that is broken and wrapped in a cloth and then hidden away and then brought back so that everybody can partake together. And it's possible, again, that he used that particular bread to say, this is my body. 
I was pointing to what he was about to go through in his body as he died mm. on the cross. And then he used that cup right afterwards, which, uh, you know, today there are four cups in the Passover Seder, in the Passover meal. And the third cup, which goes hand in hand with the Afikomen, uh, is the cup of redemption, which reminds us of that, uh, that shed blood of the lamb that paid the price for Israel's redemption from slavery in Egypt. And again, it's possible that Jesus took that particular cup and said, this is my blood in the new covenant. And for me, this has always really been amazing because, again, when we look at the connections between the Passover lamb and Exodus 12 and what Jesus has done for us, this is really a very important point for us. And it's this. There is power in the blood. Right. There is power in the blood of the lamb. So in Exodus 12, verses 7, and in verse 13, we see that. Uh, it says this, Moreover, verse 7, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And then later on in verse 13, it says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So way back in Exodus, again, there was power in the blood. That was the, the operative means that God used to shield his people and deliver his people from his wrath. If by faith you have applied the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of your hearts, then the wrath of God has actually passed over you. And now you pass into eternal life, which by the way, is not something you get when you die. It's something that you get when you accept Jesus and you enter into eternal life. And I think, I think that the, the Old Testament portrait of redemption fulfilled in the new covenant, particularly at the Last Supper, is something that is just amazing, Bobby. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I love that you point that out. Uh, because again, when we come to the New Testament and we see the power in the blood of the Lamb Jesus, it is on full display. And I, I love how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Messiah. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People and you know, I like to call the Jewish holidays a roadmap to redemption. Passover pointed to the death of Jesus on the Friday night, and then he was in the grave a part of three days and three nights, and friends will be talking about why we say that a part of a day was, was considered a day in Jewish tradition at the time. We'll talk about that next week. But he died on Friday night. He was in the grave Friday through Sunday, and then he rose on Sunday, which According to Leviticus chapter 23, uh, the day after the Sabbath is when we observe the feast of first fruits. He is the first fruits from among the dead. So when a lot of us are going to sit in church on Sunday morning and we'll be observing Easter and celebrating the resurrection, we need to remember that Jesus did everything according to plan. He was perfect as the Lamb of God. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, we read about the resurrection being at the right time. For in verse 3, Paul says, I deliver to you as of first importance 
what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, not the second day, not the fourth day, not the fifth day. He was raised on the third day, which would have been the Sunday, which would have been the Feast of First Fruits. We're going to cover more of that. But once again, he not only fulfills one Jewish holiday at Passover, he actually fulfills the second one, which is the Feast of First Fruits. It's all part of the same season. So he's selected on the right day, he dies on the right day, and he rises on the right day. He is perfect. He absolutely fulfilled everything according to the law and the prophets that was expected by the Messiah. And this great, grand resurrection from the dead, if you read Isaiah chapter 53 and study verses 10 through 12, at the end of Isaiah 53, everybody speaks about Isaiah 53 as pointing to the sacrifice, the atoning death of the Lamb of God. But actually, in verses 10 through 12, we read specifically about his resurrection, that uh, he would be a, a joint heir, that he would see his seed. I mean, how can you see your seed when you're, when you're dead? And so it's clearly a resurrection passage. So you cannot separate his death from the resurrection. And an Old Testament prophecy, based upon the types we see in the Jewish holidays, Passover and Feast of First Fruits, Jesus did exactly what he was supposed to do. Again, he actually was selected on the right day, the 10th of Nisan. He died on the right day, the 14th of Nisan, and he resurrected on the right day, which would have been the Feast of First Fruits. That's the perfect, impeccable, glorious Messiah we serve. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Today, we've been talking about the Spring Feasts and Passover in particular. And if you'd like to learn more about these special set-apart days, just go online to our website and explore. You'll find us at chosenpeople.com radio. And then don't forget, it's not too late to request your copy of our latest booklet, 10 Ways to Find Messiah in the Passover. Discover why Passover is the clear biblical backdrop of the gospel and why Yeshua, Jesus' sacrifice, is the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover story. It's yours free when you reach out to us today by calling 888-293-7482. And Bobby, it's even available as an instant digital download online at chosenpeople.com slash offer. So get your copy today or ask for 10 Ways to Find Messiah in the Passover when you write to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street, New York, New York, 10022. You know, Chosen People Ministries would not exist without the faithful support of Christians around the world who stand with Israel and the Jewish people. And we're so grateful for your prayers and sacrificial gifts that enable us to continue to bring the gospel to Jewish people in 20 countries around the globe. We'd really love to hear from you today. So please reach out online, over the phone, or through the mail. You might have some additional questions about Passover and the festi festivals of Israel. And we know that you might want to know more about your Jewish roots and your Jewish heritage in the Messiah. So please write to us. Thanks, Mitch. And now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction. Here's Mitch with singer-songwriter Marty Getz. 
Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er panavelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. V'yasem lecha shalom. V'yasem lecha shalom. V'yasem lecha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.